Welcome everyone to The Full Cup, the podcast where we pray before every recording and then inevitably we swear during every recording. <laughs> but we're working on it. We're it's working on it. Up I am your host, Libby Switzer, and this is Craig Berthold. Hi everybody, appreciate you listening tonight. He's really excited. <laughs> no, I am. I'm excited to get, to uh, do this and uh, teach what I've learned over the last 45 years of doing this. Yeah. So, so exciting. So tonight, as promised, Craig is going to talk about cleaning our lenses off, yeah. how we change them. If you have not listened to the previous podcasts that explain what lenses are. Neurological unconscious submodalities. Yes, which also means lenses. Like, and lenses mean uh, the way we perceive things. The way we view the world, the way we perceive uh, based things. Based upon our history that can affect how we view the world. Okay. So if you haven't listened, go back and listen. But that's a rough reminder of what we're talking about. Yeah. So how do we do it? Well, I'm going to start by talking a little bit about belief system. For the last 10 years, a real key in all psychology has been belief system. What do you believe? Do you believe that you're good? Do you believe that your mother loves you? Do you believe that you're smart? Do you believe that you're stupid? Do you believe, what do you believe about the world? Is it a good world? Is it a bad world? And how many lenses do you have in place that say it's good? Or how many lenses do you have in place that say it's not good? So we're going to talk about how we change those lenses from maybe a gray lens and change that lens to a more clear lens, or in some cases, grind an entire new lens. Sometimes it seems very simple. Sometimes it seems extremely difficult. As I mentioned before, I think in the earlier podcast, simple and easy are totally different words. My work is to attempt to make change as simple as possible as I work with people, but sometimes change is not always easy. Just mm -hmm. ask me how easy it is to lose weight. Right. Very yeah. simple. Very simple. Stop Don't eat. eating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it might be a little bit more difficult to yes, do that. Not so easy. that's just a simple idea. So we're going to talk a little bit about belief system. How you believe can really affect how you perceive the world and how you direct the rest of your world. So to start with Libby, I'm going to ask you some questions. What color is this wall here? Yellow. No, it's purple. No, it's yellow. You can see very clearly it's purple, isn't it? No, it's yellow. You're colored blind. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I am. But I absolutely believe I can convince you that that wall is purple. Now, let me tell you okay. why. I understand that when you were a little girl and you were coloring with your Crayola crayons in your kindergarten class, your teacher came out and said, that's a lovely shade of yellow. And that's the color. The same color of that, that's wall, that wall, right? Right. You looked at the crayon, and on the Crayola crayon, it said yellow. Mm -hmm. So now you have two events. A teacher telling you it's yellow, the crayon spelling out yellow. Maybe you went one day to the store with mom, and mom said, let's buy you this yellow blouse. Is that the color they brought out? Yes. That's the color they brought out. So now you got three events. And then you went with me down to Sherwin-Williams to buy some paint. And I said to the salesman, bring us out some yellow paint. And that's the color they brought out. Right. So we know that you maybe have two, three, or a hundred, or a thousand experiences in your brain creating a neural pathway or a lens that that wall is yellow. Right. Now, tonight, your dad says, 
No, it's not. It's purple. So my one statement to you that it's purple versus your thousand events that says it's yellow, that's not going to change your mind, is it? No. But what if I took you down to Dick's Market and we bought some Crayola crayons and you started coloring with it tonight? And as you looked at it, it said purple. And that's the color that was coming out. Mm -hmm. You'd probably first say, Dad, what did you do? Did you change the crayon? How did you get them to change the label? And tomorrow we go down to Sherwin-Williams and say, give us some purple paint. And they bring that color out. Mm -hmm. And then we went down into Nordstrom's and said, she wants a purple blouse. And they brought that color mm, out again. Let's Can we go to Nordstrom tomorrow? <laughs> and okay. What happens is I now introduce to you maybe 10 or 15 or 50 or 100 lenses that it's purple. You're still going to say, Dad, you're wrong. It's yellow because your belief system says it's yellow. Yes. But if over the next 10 years, every time you went to the store, Every time you asked for the color purple, they brought out that color. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon you started to develop maybe 2,000 lenses that the wall is purple mm -hmm. versus your 1,000, your belief system might get a little shaky, like, uh, whoa. And yeah. sometimes that's frightening when our belief system starts changing on us. But after maybe two or 3,000 events saying it's purple, what color would it then be? Purple. Now, you're a religious woman, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's say Christ came to visit us, and he's floating a foot off the ground. And he said to you, and he said to me, Libyan Craig, you just need to understand. This color that you've been calling yellow for the last five or 600 years in America, throughout the eternities, it truly is purple. Mm. What color is it then, Libby? Yeah, it's purple. If you have that much belief in your supreme yes. being. Sorry, Let's give ahead. weight to the lenses. Each lens weighs one pound. And you have a 1,000 pounds of lens that says it's yellow. And now all of a sudden you have 10,000 pounds of lens that says it's purple. Then what color is it? Purple. With that idea, that means you can change anything. Mm-hmm. What about the little girl who all of her life has been told by her father, you're no good, you make me sick? Or when I was doing child protection, the children who had been sexually abused, little girls saying, this is the only thing I'm worth, mm -hmm. is to be sexual with my father, my uncle, my grandfather, whatever. Mm -hmm. This is the only thing that gives me value. Mm -hmm. I'm no good. I'm nothing but a, a toy for my father. I have no value. And she has those kinds of lenses and she comes to see me when she's 40 years of age, and she has 40 years of lens saying she's no good. And I say, what are you talking about? You're wonderful. You're bright. You're capable. You're kind. You're loving. You're sweet. You're beautiful. No, I'm not. Is she going to believe me? No. No. But if rough. we can introduce belief systems, belief system lenses over the next several weeks, and sometimes it takes months, and she has a belief in somebody else as a supreme being, maybe. She might be able to speed that process up. Now, I think last time we talked about the importance of having a belief system. Mm -hmm. And did I mention last time that our perception of our supreme being often comes to us? Yes, from our first authoritative, authoritative figure, figure. Usually our father. Yes. So if my father says I'm no good, 
Yeah. Then if somebody God says, well, God, no God says you're good. And you say, no, he's just like my father because my mm-hmm. perception. So once again, if you use God in believing that you're special, which I highly encourage you to, it brings in another lens mm-hmm. that can help build who you are. Mm-hmm. So many people use all of the red lenses to fill their cup, to believe who they are. I'm making money. Worldly lenses. Worldly lenses. Physical. And what I tell people is the red lenses of this world are fine for business and making money and success, but they will never fill the cup. Mm -hmm. Truly, the only thing that fills the cup is the white lens or the white experiences that we have. Red always runs out on us. Mm -hmm. Now, let me give you an example. This is a woman who came to see me a few years ago, and she weighed 300 pounds. Mm -hmm. And she said, somebody told me that you could help me lose weight. I said, well, I've I've worked with people in severe cases where they haven't been able to lose weight. And she said, well, uh, I weigh 300 pounds, and my doctor tells me if I don't get this weight off, uh, my knees are going to go bad. I'm only in my 30s. And I've lost 100 pounds before, but gained 150 back. Mm -hmm. The first lens she told me, I've lost it, but I gained it back. So I'm automatically wondering, maybe unconsciously, there's a lens that says, you're a big girl. Mm -hmm. I started asking her questions. Her mother said to her when she was a child, the doctor told us to put you on a diet the day we brought you home from the hospital. She was 12 pounds Mm -hmm. when she was born. Is that a small baby or a large baby? No, that's a large baby. Okay. In elementary school, she was told... You're a big girl. Now, don't you ever make too much noise in school because big girls making noise are obnoxious. Mm. She didn't even know what the word obnoxious meant, but she knew it was bad. Mm -hmm. So she's big, and that means she's bad. In all of the class pictures, she stood on the back row. Other kids would tease her. Do you hear the lenses being created? Mm -hmm. You're big, you're big, you're big. As she grew older, kids teased her about her size and her weight. Many events kept coming on. You're big, you're big, you're big. Now she's coming in saying, I want to lose weight. About a year later, I was still seeing her. Her husband came in with her and said, you're not helping her. She's gone from 300 pounds to 303 pounds. And I said, well, I think what we're working on, what I don't think, I know what we're trying to change is her belief system. Libby, how long am I going to have to talk to you to convince you that that wall is purple? Yeah, forever. (laughs) Maybe a long time. Mm -hmm. But we had her do some interesting things. There was an event when her mother would say to her, you're just like my sisters. You're a Smith girl, and us Smith girls are big girls. Mm -hmm. So just deal with it. And we would have her go back in a gestalt doing some chair work, and she would tell her mother, no, Mom, I'm not. I'm tall, but I'm not fat. And she would tell her mother that and then move back. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. She took a picture of her face, cut it out, and then took and went to magazines and taped it on the picture of the body that she thinks she is. Mm -hmm. They were all tall girls, but they were all slender. Mm -hmm. And so we went back over, over that year, going back to events and saying, no, I'm not going to buy that. I'm not going to buy that I'm fat. I'm just because I'm Smith, I'm tall, yes, but I don't need to weigh 303 pounds. Her husband came in and accused me of being a quack. Mm -hmm. You're trying to take your insurance money. I said, I got a waiting list. I don't think I need to see her, you know, but she wants to keep seeing me. 
A year and a half went by. And one day she came in and she said, I had a dream last night. What was your dream? She said, I took this coat off. It was a coat of fat. And underneath it, I really am thin. And I really think now I know that I'm thin and I'm going to be thin. In the next two months, she lost 69 pounds, said, I don't think I need to come and see you anymore. And just the weight flew off of her. I didn't see her again. All these things happened. And now in my dream, she was able to see things differently. So knowing that, we can change all kinds of things. I'll give you just, just a quick little example. Now, this might be a little personal, but I'm going to ask you to think about the last time maybe you were in an argument with maybe one of your children or uh, maybe your husband or somebody that you were pretty upset with, maybe your mom or dad, but just picture a time when you were upset, okay? okay. Can you picture it? Mm-hmm. And can you tell me who's in the picture? That I'm upset with? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. You're, you're in the picture, I guess. I'm in the picture. Are you viewing it from your head, looking at the person you're upset with? Mm-hmm. Okay. And you don't have to tell me who the person is, all okay. right? But you're upset. Now, as you look at that picture, you've kind of arched your back a little bit and you're straightened up. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you, I want you to focus just on the picture where you're really upset and tell me, is it affecting you physiologically anywhere? Do you find yourself tightening in your mm-hmm. chest or your tummy? Where? Where are you tightening? I would like my heart. In your heart, it's kind of racing a little bit. So in your chest and heart. Okay. Now we're just going to mess with the lenses on that picture for a moment. I'd like you to look at the picture now. And I'd like you to turn it down shadowy. So you can already even see who's in the picture. All right. Okay. And now turn it up bright like noonday sun is shining. Okay. All right. Do you like it better bright or dark? I like it bright. Okay, good. Okay. Now, we're going to put it on a drive-in theater movie screen and make it huge. Okay? Uh-huh. And now shrink it down the size of a dime. Uh-huh. Do you like it large or small? Small. Okay. So it's a bright and it's the size of a dime. Now, let's go back to the picture. And whoever you're talking to, can you see their lips moving? Mm -hmm. I'm not talking to them. I'm watching them talk to someone else. Fine. You're watching them talk. That's Mm -hmm. right. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn the volume off and see their lips moving. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Did you turn it off? Yeah. And their lips are moving, but Mm -hmm. nothing's coming out. And now what I want you to do is plug into those moving lips, the voice of Donald Duck. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Now you're starting to laugh. All right. This is something that had you tightening in the chest. So now what we're going to do, let's tend it. Even though it's bright, let's tint it kind of a, a yellowy bright, okay? okay? So it's yellow. The voice of Donald Duck's coming out of it. It's the size of a dime. And now I, what I want you to do is I want you to take this picture, and I want you to go to your drawer where you keep your socks, all right? Okay. Open the drawer, slide the socks over, put it down in the drawer, cover it over with the socks, all right? Mm-hmm. Voice of Donald Duck, close the drawer, and come on back here. All right, did you do all that? Mm-hmm. Now, I'd like you to go back to the original picture that you started with. Can you see it? Mm-hmm. Is it exactly the same? Mm-hmm. Okay. How's the tightening? Yeah, it doesn't bother me. Whoa. So by changing, we did what, four things to this picture? We tinted, cha- all we did, we didn't mess with the history necessary, the color, the tint, the volume, Donald Duck's voice, those kinds mm-hmm. of things. I remember I did this with a lady and every time her, her boss would talk to her, he would always yell at her. And she came in and, and she would cry. Well, 
when she did this, she came back. She said, I almost got in trouble because every time he talked to him, I'd burst out laughing because every time I heard his voice, it was Donald Duck's voice coming out. Mm -hmm. The unconscious oftentimes takes what it likes and will keep it if it's protecting them. Mm. Do you see how quickly yeah. she changed the lenses? Yeah, that's it. Right, we're going to go another place now. A number of years ago, I was called over uh, to the emergency room at, at the hospital. And uh, there was a lady there who uh, was having a psychotic break. Uh, she was in a state of psychosis, and they were going to fill her full of an antipsychotic. But they said, well, let's call Craig over, see if you can see her first for a minute. And so I went over. Earlier in the day, uh, she'd been sitting on her patio while her husband was working on the car in the driveway. Uh, and the, uh, the car jack broke, mm. crushing her husband. She tried to lift it off. Oh. Uh, she called the paramedics. Oh. They got him out. She rode in the ambulance down to the hospital, and uh, he was pronounced DOA, dead oh. on arrival. She called her son and family. They came down and picked her up, and he was taken to the mortuary. About two hours later, she with her son had come back to the hospital, and she was racing through every room in the hospital, screaming that the hospital has kidnapped her husband, and she's not leaving this hospital until she finds her husband. Mm -hmm. Her son's trying to convince her, and he run, she runs away from him. She gets in a fist fight with one of the nurses uh, and then runs off. They're going to call the police. They've got her in a room, and they called me, and I went over to see her. And as I walked in, I did a thing in, in the unconscious uh, hypnosis. We call it pace and lead. I just basically walked back and forth, okay? You can do this yourself. There'll be times maybe when you give a talk and you look out in the audience and just as you're giving your talk, have your head going up and down like this, okay? Like okay. your head's going up and down Not, right now. Yeah. All it's doing is going up and they're starting to dance with you. Mm -hmm. Now, I've never seen a stage hypnotist, but I did a lot of hypnosis for about 10, 15 years. And I suspect this is what I would do if I did stage hypnotist. I'd walk back and forth. And everybody's head who's walking, looking, turning, everything. walk this way, they look at me, walk this way. Then I would smile, and those who are smiling, and then I'd have my head going up and down. And people's heads who are going up and down, they're starting this neurological, yes. what we call therapeutic rapport, or we call the neurological dance. So I just walked in, went over and shook her son's uh, hand and her daughter's hand, and she's looking, just glaring at me. It was everywhere I go watching. And I turned to her and I said, can you tell me what color the walls were when you came into the emergency room? And she got angry and she looked at me and said, walls? And I don't care about the walls. Are you here to tell me where my husband is? I want to know about my husband. I said, I don't know anything about your husband. But I was just wondering if maybe you could tell me what color the walls were. And she looks at her son and her son nods like, would you? And she goes, I don't know, off-white, I guess. I said, okay, yeah, I think they are. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. Would you imagine for a moment that you could see yourself walking into the emergency room, but I want you to put on some rose-colored glasses, like sunglasses, but they, they're rose-colored. And she goes, I don't know what this has to do with my husband. I'm not leaving this hospital until I see my husband. I said, you know, I really don't know, but would you just bear with me for a minute? I was kind of pushy, but she was okay with me. And I said, would you put on the rose-colored glasses and just imagine walking in again? And she closed her eyes. Okay. I said, what color are the walls now? Well, they're rose-colored, of course. And what color is your, your son's shirt? Well, it's rose-colored. 
And what color is your shirt? Rose-colored. So everything now with the rose-colored glasses are rose. Yeah. Now, would you, if you want to, maybe back the film up today? And if you want to look at the earlier events, would you look at it through rose-colored glasses? And she looked at me, she opened her eyes, closed her eyes again, and started to cry. See, she was having a psychotic break. I'm crazy. Think of psychosis as a really, really good DT. It protects us. Okay. okay. So psychosis can protect me from the struggle that I'm having. And so I'm dealing with watching the Jack fall on my husband, killing him. I don't want to look at this. I'm in a state of psychosis. Yeah. So let's fill her full of Thorazine. Or, well, that's old time now. What are they? Antipsychotics now are different. But when she tinted it red, just like you, when you shrunk it down the size of a dime, was it as traumatic as it was? Mm-mm. It's not. She was able to leave the hospital within about 20 minutes. She was crying, and she could see what happened with her husband. She didn't have to go to full-blown psychosis, but she needed a little help to change the way she perceived things. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So we have this ability to change these lenses on a regular basis. I'm going to tell you another story. This is a lady that had been at the Utah State Hospital a couple of times. She came to see me. And when she came in to see me, she was diagnosed uh, by the psychiatrist that sent her to see me as paranoid schizophrenic. And the Utah State Hospital sees people who are in psychosis. It's like a mental health it's not just for like regular yes. people. Yes, it's a psychiatric hospital. Psychiatric. Okay, so her diagnosis was what? A paranoid schizophrenic. And when she came in to see me, initially, uh, she would be in states of psychosis. And she'd be you know, kind of looking at the floor and waving her eyes around. And you can ask mom, because one day she came to my house and was in the bathroom. It's seven o'clock in the morning in our house and mom got up and walked down the hall to go to the bathroom and they both screamed like, what's going on? And I read it, here's this patient of mine, because that's the kind of crazy stuff she would do. Well, um, she liked me and I liked her and she found, we we did some things by changing some lenses, reporting that she was wonderful and that she wasn't as bad as she thought she would. And I had her go back and, and do some things. And so she would come in and sometimes she would be psychotic and sometimes she wouldn't. And you can anchor psychosis. You remember like a song on the radio? Mm-hmm. So when she came in and she wasn't psychotic and I would go, <clears throat> just almost jokingly, if she would start to enter psychosis, I could sometimes go, <clears throat> and she'd leave the psychosis and come back. Mm-hmm. All right. Now that's, this is from the area of neurolinguistics or NLP from 20 years ago. So she came in to see me, and after about six months, she could actually stay out of her psychosis. Uh And I took her history. Nothing showed up in her history. And then one day she told me, I keep having a dream. And then I wake up in the middle of the night screaming. I want you to hypnotize me and take me back so I can see what's happening in the farmhouse in Idaho. I said, okay, Uh, but I said, I would prefer not to do that because if your unconscious doesn't want you to see that, it's buried that, let's keep it buried 
until you have the tools to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, if you go into trance and tell me everything that you think may have happened there, and then I tell you about it, have I just violated your unconscious who's mm -hmm. trying to protect you? Yeah. And she would, well, this takes too long. Just hypnotize me and, and let's go find it. And I said, well, let's try some other things. She said, okay. I said, all right. Can you picture the farmhouse? Yes. And where are you? Well, I'm across the street in a field looking at the house. How old are you? Five. Okay. Now, can you cross the street and go to the house? No. I'm scared to death. All right. Is there anybody that you trust that could go across the street with you? You. I said, okay, put me in the picture. So there's you at five and me, what was I, 48, I don't know, 44, something like that. 20, 25 years ago. And now guess what? With that trusting person there, she can walk across the street. Mm -hmm. She walks across the street. We're on the front porch. Can you knock on the door? No, I can't go in there. Is there anybody else you trust? Well, my husband and I are actually getting along better uh, since this last bout at the state hospital. And I think I trust him. Okay, put him in the picture. Yep. Can we go in? No. Anybody else? I used to have a rabbit when I was a kid. <laughs> you trust it. That rabbit loved me and I loved that rabbit. Aww. I'd hold him all day long. I said, put the rabbit in the five-year-old's lap. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm there. The husband's there. The rabbit's there. Nope. But in the area she lived in now, there was a, a fellow just down the street who was a police officer. And he was really a nice guy to them. And she said, he's a cop. He'll protect me. I said, okay, put him in the picture. Bingo. We walk right into the house. Now we go sit on the couch, but there's something going on upstairs. She says, I got to go upstairs. I got to find out. Let's go. She says, I can't. I said, is there anybody that you know that could help you go upstairs? No. And I said, have you ever been religious? No. Are you kidding? I smoke like a chain. No, I, I, God doesn't love me. There's no God. I said, how about when you were a child? Well, okay, yeah. I remember when I was a child, we went to church a couple of times with my grandma, and there was a picture of Christ. Kind of, He had a kind of a gold tint to him, uh, uh, kind of brown hair, and he's a handsome guy, and I, I remember that. I said, okay. And how old were you then? Oh, I was probably eight or nine. All right. Would you put that picture of Jesus, or maybe if you're okay, have Jesus, who from that picture, join you? all of us sitting on the couch, the five-year-old. Oh, she also had her there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now she's 40 or something like that. Can we go upstairs now? Yeah. So we went upstairs and we walked into the bedroom and then there's her father and her grandfather doing not nice things to her and her sister. And I said, now, what would you like to do? Oh, I'm scared. I said, why don't you just kind of go over to both of them and reach down like you're going to pick up a pencil and grab both of them by the ankle and pick them up and spin them over your head and start spinning them and bang their heads against the wall, against everything. Now, I'm a little probably too violent for you, but if this, if you're okay, she's, no, I, I can do that. And so she's, she's sitting there and she's smiling. And I said, now pitch them through the wall. You know, just like in a cartoon, you pitch somebody through and they, they come through and there's a, a body shape in the wall, pitch them both through the wall, run down the stairs, grab them by the ankles and drag them back all the way upstairs again and throw them through the window again. 
And this time as they go through, let some of the, the wood and chars kind of cut into them and mess with them. And, and now they're down there and they're whimpering and crying going, well, don't hurt us anymore. And you go and the little five-year-old steps in each of their throats and says, I told you not to mess with me anymore or my sister and goes to the other one. And then you go like this and you whistle and a van pulls up. You remember the guys at the state hospital in the white shirts and white pants? Yeah. Let's have maybe six or seven climb out of the van. And they put your dad and your grandfather in straight jackets, pull, wrap them around, pull the legs up behind them. And they're, you can put duct tape so they can't say anything. And they're crying. And they throw them in the van and they drive away. And right behind it comes, this was a few years ago. And I said, a long time ago, do you remember Mayor Didi Corradini? She had a big smile, toothy smile. She was the mayor of Salt Lake City. And she says, yeah. I said, okay, she drives up in a, in a convertible. And she, in the back seat, she gets out and she's got this big piece of plywood. And that's a check for $10 million. And it gives it to this little five-year-old girl for ridding the city. They're, they're not going to kill them. They're going to take the state hospital, work them out. Okay, so they're, they're going to put them in the state hospital. And you now have a jet waiting at the Idaho Falls airport to take you and all your friends, the entire school, if you want, to Disneyland, and there's going to be nobody there except for you. And she goes, okay. I said, how does that feel? And she's kind of laughing. She says, well, that's, that's weird. I said, for the last 40 years, who's had the power in that piece of history? Well, they did. For the last five minutes, who's had the power? I do. I do. <laughs> All we got to do is start even with pretend. Real and pretend are the same thing neurologically. What? We're, okay, let's Real say it again. Are the same <laughs> thing neurologically. So when we're creating deer trails of empowerment, okay, mm-hmm. if Every time you have a dream, you wake up in a nightmare and go, ha, ha, ha. Now, did it seem like it was real? Yeah. Was your heart racing? Yeah. Were you crying? Yeah. Were you out of breath? It didn't happen. It was a dream, right? But it was still real. Watch me. I'm going to pretend right now to look at a sunset, a beautiful sunset. I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to kind of look. And now I find myself cocking my head. And I sigh. Then I relax, the skin on my face softens, okay? Yeah. Now, what happens when I really look at a beautiful sunset? The same thing. I cock my head, I sigh, the skin on my face softens, and I relax. So let's put this together when we're talking about if the lenses of my life was I was abused, I had no power, and here's... Her crazy therapist having her throw her dad and her grandpa through the wall on the second story. Well, I tend to be a little bit violent that way because I probably want to do that to those guys. Yeah. <laughs> but it's having these images of being empowered. Yeah. We know when we talk about dream analysis, that dream analysis at best is a guess. But one of the most wonderful parts of dream analysis, that you can redream the dream and be the Steven Spielberg of your dream. Yes. You remember the squirt gun thing you talked about? Yes, yes. And did you become empowered with that? I did. And once you had the power, did you feel a little bit more powerful the next day at school? Yes. So when you start dreaming being empowered, what happens to your neurological system? When you it. start imagining 
belief system lenses of being powered, of being God's kid, of being special, whatever the case might be. Do you see how literally you can change anything when you start recognizing we can change neurological unconscious submodalities? We can change not only the, the anchor that, that the song on the radio that makes us feel this way, good or bad, but if we're feeling bad, we can plug in another piece of history that we can feel good when that song comes on that takes us to a bad memory. We can say, no, I'm going to turn that to a positive anchor. And once we understand that this brain can put in lenses as it wants. And when you learn how to create more lenses of positivity, more lenses of goodness, more lenses of success, more lenses of empowerment, then the little girl inside who's been the 20-year-old or the 25 or the 40-year-old who's had 40 years of never having power, all of a sudden finds herself, I'm dreaming being empowered. So neurological unconscious submodalities or these lenses of our history, when we're young, we don't know we have any ability to change those. But when we start becoming empowered and we start creating lenses, how about the lens that your father and mother love you? How about the lens that your God says you're special? And can that be worth the 10,000 pounds of lens to bring you peace and joy versus the thousand pounds of lens that says you're no good. Yeah. I have a dear friend. I won't tell you his name. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to call him Robert. Everyone kind of has a fake name on this yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Nobody, just so we're clear. And we, and, and we mix the stories enough, okay? Yeah. So uh, Robert, Bob, he's got a PhD in clinical psychology. And I haven't seen him for a few years, but uh, he, he was a very religious guy for a lot of years of his life and then decided, no, I don't believe in God anymore and became an atheist. Mm -hmm. And so we would talk and he would say that, you know, it's just silliness what I'm doing. Uh, he would say, Craig, all you have done is stacked up a whole bunch of anchors in a belief system, in a supreme being that you think loves you no matter what, Craig. And will wash all the stupid stuff you've done in your life away. And you've manipulated these anchors and belief system lenses in such a way, stacking anchors, that that's why you're so happy. Perfect. <laughs> well, hell yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I say to him, now, you used to be a very religious guy. You, what did you guys call that years ago? What's the first principle of the gospel? Is it? neurological stacked anchors of belief to create a deep neural pathway of belief in a supreme being so you can feel happy and joyful that he'll walk with you through it all and help you get through anything. No, it doesn't say that. Okay, what's the first principle of the gospel? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What? What's the difference between stacked anchors of neurological belief and faith? Nothing. The science now explains to us that having a belief in something, whether it's in money, whether it's whether we're going to be successful, whether we're going to do this, whether we're, a belief that we're no good, I'm terrible, I'm nothing but a bum. If I was told as I was as a child, you know, you're going to end up in prison one day, you're nothing but trouble, I hate your guts, I used to believe that stuff mm -hmm. because those were the lenses I had. Well, and it's easy to live up to what people believe in you. So Go lucky for you that you... Very lucky. We're smart enough to not believe them. Thank you. And maybe married a wonderful woman, had wonderful children, 
developed a belief in a supreme being who does, I believe, love me no matter what. Even though I'm foul and rank at times, I do believe he still loves me. And and I want to do all that I can to have, well, I, I can't do anymore to love, get him to love me anymore. Right. He already loves me. Right. And I just want to live a good, healthy life because I found that, I think I said this last week, you want a good life, you give it, you live a good life. You, you didn't a, say this last week. Oh, I didn't? Week. Okay. Well, one of my things is if you want a good life, live a good life. If you want a stupid life, live a stupid life. If you want a bad life, live a bad life. Whatever you live will come back, and that's what it'll be. Mm-hmm. I lived a stupid and a bad life, and then I started to live a pretty good life. And I'll be, gosh darn, but my life's really, really, really good. I'm very happy. Yeah. We can change those lenses. And we're going to talk in the weeks to come a lot more about changing these lenses, neurological unconscious submodalities, so that we can feel better about ourselves, about the people we work with, about our friends, everybody. And we start to understand that everybody has their earthly lenses that affect how they view things. Yeah. And they can change those. Just with the stories that you've shared today, I think they're not typical stories people are used to hearing unless they're watching Law and Order Special Victims <laughs> Unit. You know, it's the stuff you have to hear. And, and I say have to because it's hard to hear such tragedy that happens to people. But I'm so grateful that people have you who have been through these hard times because it really has provided for me today a sense of hope. When you talked about how imagination can be the same as reality. And how did you explain what was that sentence? Real and pretend Real and are pretend. the same neurologically. Okay. Oh my gosh. When you hear of trauma, as in like physical abuse or sexual abuse that happens to a child their entire life and and they become schizophrenic and their psychosis is how they protect themselves from this and their whole life is changed, there's hope for that? I didn't know there was hope for that. (laughs) And that's why when you were telling the story, I was just dumbfounded sitting here going, Really? I'm just so grateful and it's so wonderful to be able to have hope for that. I know not everyone has this information or knows or can pay for therapy or whatever they need to heal through their tragedy. But just knowing that there are ways to get through it is very powerful. So thanks. Good job. I'm glad you you (laughs) know what you're doing. Okay. Thank you everyone for listening today to the full cup. We hope you enjoyed. And again, please go on and leave us a review on iTunes. Rate us, share us with your friends if you're liking what you're hearing. And we hope you have a wonderful week. See you next time.